You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. You know, yesterday was a fun day with a work day, and I admit there was a moment when I had a crisis of belief. I began to despair a little bit. So, you know, we were cutting trees down, and a lot of stuff was going on, and fixing flower beds and all of that, and, and a number of things. And uh, the plow this winter, because the, the ground really didn't freeze hard, the plow did a ton of damage to the lawn. You may or may not have noticed that. And uh, so after kind of the guys divvied up, you know, the things that they wanted to do and everything was going on, all of a sudden I realized I'm the lone guy standing with a shovel to fix the ruts. You know, at that moment of time, kind of the cavalry hadn't come over the hill yet, and it was kind of early in the day. Thankfully, more people came along. But what dawned on me is, especially the big rut that was out front, I mean, it was, I don't know, 20 feet long or whatever. The plow was kind of like three feet into the lawn, the length of the thing, and and it, I didn't realize it, but when I got out there, I, I could barely tell where the sod had been ripped up. It, it was sod and not just the grass. It had kind of melded into it, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be a lot of work. And I kind of put the shovel in, and I'm like, this is like digging a whole fresh hole. Like, what in the world? Had we gotten to this a month ago, it would have been, you know, pretty easy. And I got to tell you, that minute I thought, this is more work than I really want to do this morning, to be really honest with you. Like, I, you know, I'll go cut trees down. Let's go do some fun. Like, why am I doing this? And I kind of like, this isn't going to happen. What in the world? I, I can't do all of this. And I kind of, after digging a couple of shovelfuls, I stepped back and I thought about, and all of a sudden the light bulb hit. And I remember Sean Simmons was here with his tractor, and I thought, that tractor has got a bucket on the front of that thing. I don't need to dig any more whatsoever. Once he's done playing with the guys cutting trees, Sean, can you come over and dig this thing and flop it over? All of a sudden, I went from despair, discouragement, frustration, disillusionment, whatever word you want to put to it, and like, what am I going to do? And I had hope. I had hope in a tractor, and I had a hope in Sean that would be like, yeah, I'll come be willing to help you. You know, that is a small, simple little thing that we all run into in life, right? We bump into things like, oh, this is a lot more work than I was banking on, and oh, this did not go down the way I expected, or oh, I did not expect to be at this point of life and be dealing with what I'm dealing with. We all have, from small things to big things, things that we bump into that are difficult, that become challenges, that become harsh realities of life. And most of them are a lot harder and more painful than just flipping sod over in a piece of dirt, right? At the end of the day, if it doesn't get done, so what? The world's going to keep spinning, and we're all going to go home, and we go on in life, right? Some of you are like, no, Sean, it has to be done well at my house. It's got to be perfect. That's okay. That can be your house. I knew the world was going to keep rolling along, but if we're being really honest, we all bump into really hard things, really seasons of life that are unbelievably difficult, things that we run into, things that, are, that we go through that are real challenges. This morning, I'm going to give you four reasons to have hope, not so much because there's a tractor on site, but hope, to have hope in the middle of the sufferings and the challenges. We've been talking all along in the book of Romans. It's If you're not careful, Romans at first can seem depressing to you, but actually, as we understand reality of our sin and the challenges of life, what Paul, the apostle who wrote this under the inspiration of God, has been building to, he's kind of telling us the bad news, the, the realities of things, so he can share with us that much more how gr beautiful grace and the sweetness and the wonders is of God, and we've 
talked the last couple of weeks about the freedom that we now have in Christ and that God has set us free. And if you're thinking through it, well, why doesn't God just save us and deliver us from our sin and take us to heaven and we kind of get all of it, you know? We tend to be that way as people. We don't want to take time to go through things. We kind of want it all now. We want it now. We don't want to wait. Why doesn't God do that? Like, why do I have to turn around and wake up tomorrow in a world that's just kind of difficult to work with, frustrating, and I'm not, you know, why do I have to go through all of this? And Paul is kind of helping us this morning to say, you're freed from your sin, you're a child of God, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, and now this is how you live in this messed up, mixed up, confusing, frustrating, challenging world in which suffering is a reality. So four reasons to have hope in the middle of that. So look at Romans 8, if you would. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your phone open, if you're not quick enough on the trigger to pull that out of your pocket and flip there. Romans 8, verse 18. We're going to look at these. I want to read the first several verses to get us going. Paul says this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You probably don't remember, but the tail end of the passage we looked at last week talked about all this freedom that we have and all that's promised to us if we're willing to suffer. Paul says everything's not just, you know, fun and games, and it's not just happily ever after. That really only happens in fairy tales, not in real life. Well, we really do get the happily ever after, just not yet, right? That comes in heaven. And so he's dealing with this whole time in these verses coming about this suffering thing. And he says, look, this life that we're experiencing, the sufferings, the challenges that we go through, is not worth comparing to what's going to be revealed to us in the end. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The the world, the natural world around us, the trees and the birds and the flowers and the grass and the animals are waiting for what's going to happen when God, when Jesus returns and He comes and brings with Him His His children, His sons and daughters of God, in the end when this world is changed and kind of comes to a a close, the world is, the natural world is teed up and kind of waiting for that. And I'll explain a little bit more of that in just a minute. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Sean, what in the world is that talking about? Here's the thing. When God made this world, He put all of this creation, all of the animals, all the trees, all of the fish, all of the birds, all the creepy crawly things, all the stuff you can't see, He put all of that underneath us as people. And He gave us authority, all of those things. He, it, he subjected it, God did, to us. And when we as people sinned, we plunged this world, not just our own soul and our own lives, but all of creation got plunged into darkness and corruption. And since then, the world, even though it's beautiful around us and even though we like it, if you look carefully and closely, It is going through hardship and difficulty just like you and me. Those of you that cut vines yesterday, 
and trees and all kinds of stuff and weeds and all of that, congratulations, that's what this verse is talking about. That it is enduring the sufferings and the challenges of this world and it's waiting for something better too. I'm waiting for life after weeds. I'm waiting for life after you know mosquitoes and black flies. I'm waiting for life after all kinds of messes in the world around us. And that's what he's talking about. And the creation is waiting for it. And it doesn't have it doesn't have a voice or choice in this, and it has nothing but futility even in its end. He goes on and he says in verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Ladies, that means more to you than it does to us as men, but the world is groaning. You know, you've probably seen the different videos of the lion going after the wildebeest. And, you know, it's a harsh world if you're a wild animal. Life is not good to you. It ends really pretty brutally. But if you even have a wise, a careful eye looking, even in the, the, the woods and the trees around us, there is a battle going on. There is a constant competition for sunlight and for nutrients, and the vines are competing with the trees, and they're growing up them. And if you don't get the vines under control, they choke out the trees and they kill it. There is a survival of the fittest, a survival of life and death of all of the natural world around us, and it's groaning, waiting to be freed from that and waiting to be freed from the corruption that we as people introduced into this world. So Paul's telling us like, hey, big picture, Jesus has saved you from your sin. Life is wonderful. He has freed you and the future is incredible. And this mess that we're living in today is real and it's not going to be anything like what we're going to experience ultimately. That we are in the middle of difficulties, not just ourselves, but even the created order, the natural order around us is struggling and suffering in the middle of this, and we are as well. He goes on in verse 23, he says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is inside of us. We have this problem. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. In other words, the redemption of our bodies. We groan. Our own bodies are waiting for something different. You see, when Jesus saves us and we surrender our life to Him and we experience that salvation, we are changed on the inside. And unfortunately, we are still the same on the outside. There is no extreme makeover externally. It's only internally. And so our bodies are waiting for the completion of the salvation that God has begun in us. We're waiting for that. And the older that we get, the more in tune we become with that, right? And the more we realize like, oh, my body, it is not doing, it is not feeling, it is not looking, it is not acting like it should. And these verses are telling us why, that even our very bodies are waiting for that. Some of you have debilitating just, you know, uh, physical challenges, difficulties, disease in your bodies that you've learned to adapt and to live with your whole life. Every day for you, you begin to experience some of that groaning. Your body's looking for, waiting for that completion. What these verses are meant to be is a hope for us. And here's where the hope is. He says in verse 24, For this hope, for in this hope, we were saved. 
this hope of our salvation, that there's going to be something different. We were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So here's the reality, folks. God loves us. Jesus died on the cross for us. We are forgiven of our sins and we have a new life now that we get to experience life with God in this earth. And on the inside, it's unbelievable. The joy and the blessing and the peace and the forgiveness and removal of guilt and the removal of shame and and the, the wisdom and the guidance and just all that God brings inside of our soul that we live the rest of our lives on this planet with is amazing. And yet on the outside... It is still no fun, and it is still not good, and we wait for that. And what Paul is saying, our attitude and our in the middle of this is that it produces a hope, that we have a hope as we live out this life because we know we are looking for something else, that Jesus is returning, and when He comes, He's going to p- complete this whole salvation picture. See, what God has been doing all along, ever since Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin and death into their lives, they brought death and corruption to the natural world around them. When you look at the created order, it changed after all of that. Everything changed. And what God is doing is He's working very slowly In fact, the wheels of of His salvation are working so slowly that if it was a clock on a wall, we wouldn't even be perceiving the hand to be moving. And we would get frustrated. We'd be like, God, why is this taking so long? I don't see see it. It's it's so imperceptible. God is working through not just years and centuries, but He's working through thousands of years, and He's fixing all that which was broken. He's going to punish and, and, and deal with all corruption and all sin. He's going to, through His Son, bring forgiveness and salvation to all that receive His grace. And He's going to remake this world back to what it was meant to be in the very beginning. And until then, we are waiting. Not waiting as people who are despairing, thinking, i got to put my shovel into this, and oh my goodness, all that is going to be is just nothing but hard work and hopelessness. What he's saying to us is that we wait, but with a, an eye fixed to the future, that there's a hope that's not in just out in the future, but it's in our lives today. That's what he's talking about in this, because hope by nature is always based in something you don't see. I hope when I go home today that I can have lunch. I like to eat. You probably do too. Some of you don't want to admit it, but you do. I want to have lunch. I want to eat. It doesn't take much hope for me to think about that because I opened my cupboard this morning. I opened my fridge this morning, and I saw lots of food. So even if all of my kids come home raving lunatics and starving, there's going to be some scrap for me somewhere in that house that I'm going to have for lunch. It doesn't take a lot of faith And it doesn't take a lot of hope because I saw it with my own eyes. Unless I got robbed and the Grinch comes in, you know, while we're here at church. I don't know. Not a lot of hope. Faith and hope by nature are always in things that we cannot see. And they're always future. And what Paul is telling us is that today we are to have a hope in our soul, an encouragement 
Not discouraged by all of the stuff around. Not discouraged on the little things, whether we're weeding or cutting vines. Not discouraged in the big things, the things that hurt our soul, the things that we think, how in the world am I stuck dealing with this at this stage of life? Life has not turned out to me the way that I wanted. Why should I have to be dealing with this? And deep pain points in our lives that there should be a hope in the middle of that. I am far from an expert on suicide. I, in fact, I shouldn't even say that because it makes me sound like a backhanded way that I'm trying to say it. I, I am not. It seems to me there's two kind of motivations with the suicide story that we've seen. And truthfully, I don't know that anybody except for the person committing suicide really can begin to understand their motives. And even then, I really wonder if they understand what's going on. But to me, it seems like one is usually a, a, a trajectory of hopelessness. They just think that there's nothing better that's going to happen in life, and they'd rather experience nothing than they would the something that they're experiencing There's also another piece of it. It's kind of an anger thing. It's the final mic drop of getting back at others. And it's a warped, all of it's a warped and twisted way of thinking that, you know, somehow that, you know, nope, I'm just going to get back at that somebody or get back at life or get back at those other things. I'm going to show them two different trajectories. I want us to realize that God doesn't paint just a rosy picture, kind of suck it up and act like nothing's going on. The Bible always paints reality for us. But He's given us hope in the middle of the difficulty that we don't need to check out, we don't need to despair, we don't need to do something else. That God wants that hope to be a reality today, that even if we're going through difficult things, that there is unbelievable future awaiting for us that Jesus, our Lord, has saved us, that the life that we experience even now in Jesus is not even comparable, it's not comparable to what we're going to get a chance to experience in heaven. So we live life with the reality of today, but we look toward the future. There's a hope. Second thing I want you to recognize, another reason for hope, that Jesus is going to redeem us, that what we're experiencing today is not the end of the story, But He also sends His Holy Spirit to help us. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God." When you read the Bible, the saints are simply people who have surrendered their life to Jesus. They're not special people in history that they make statues out of. They're actually ordinary Christians, people who have surrendered their life to Christ, that God has declared us to be righteous. He declares us to be holy, even though we're a hot mess, even though we're not. And by that nature, holy is what a saint is, is a holy person. That's what what that means. And what this is saying is, is even though we walk through this world and life is difficult and God saves us and He's freed us from His sin, Paul is helping us to come back and deal with realities of the challenges of this life. He says, look, the Holy Spirit Himself is praying for you. Even if you think nobody else on this planet knows what you're going through, and you feel like other people aren't praying for me, my pastor's not praying for me, my whomever is not praying for me, my friend's not, and I'm all alone. What Paul is saying is, God Himself, God the Holy Spirit, is interceding on your behalf as a child of God to God the Father. 
That should give us such an encouragement and hope in the middle of this world. So when we bump into things, we're like, I don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit's like, I know, but I'm going to ask the Father to help you. I'm going to ask Him to, to intervene. I'm going to ask the Father to take care of you, to help you. You see, it's amazing that God Himself prays for us. Well, Sean, it's amazing, but it's also a little weird. How does God the Holy Spirit, why does He need to pray to God the Father? I can't explain all that. In fact, in next Sunday or two Sundays from now, I'm going to talk about mothers and moms next week. But two, two weeks from now, we're going to see that Jesus prays for us. So both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying right now on your behalf to God the Father. I don't know why they need to do that, because there's one God that we serve, but I am glad that they do that. I am glad that our God is working and praying on our behalf. Now, for some folks, you, if you are newer to River, the way we roll with the Bible here is, is we don't try to make the Bible fit a church past church tradition. We don't come to the Bible with, hey, this is our theology, our set of beliefs, and we're going to make the Bible fit that. Instead, we always open the Bible, whether it's in our small group, our Bible studies, our discussions, whether it's for Sunday morning, we say, we open it and say, what does that say? And whatever that says, that informs our beliefs, our theology, that informs what we do, that informs how we should act, not the other way around. So there are some theologies that come to this and say, well, Sean, that verse actually means something a little bit differently. You see, this verse means that sometimes there's things that come into our lives and when we pray that we don't know exactly what we should pray. And so we pray, we're the ones praying, and we have a, a, a special prayer language that we're praying just between us and God. You might know it as tongues, the kind of a private prayer language, and that there's these... These, you know, these sounds and these noises that really don't sound like real words, but we're praying them to God. I want you to recognize if we didn't, we're not trying to make these verses fit into a preconceived theology. That's not what these verses say. This is God the Holy Spirit praying directly to the Father apart from you. In fact, He's praying not with words. Not even unknown words, not even a private set of just feelings in your heart to God. This has nothing to do with what you're doing. This has everything to do with what God is doing. That God Himself is the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. Because even there's times that, if you will, that He's having trouble putting words to these things. And I don't, I don't understand all of that. I, I get a little confused by that. I get confused. I'm easily confused. My wife will tell you that for sure. Some of you know that as well. If you hang around with me more and more, you're like, I get it now. I understand you, Sean. I understand. But how could Jesus, who is God himself on this earth, tell his disciples, yeah, I really don't know when I'm coming back and how this whole thing, what the time, you know, the exact times. I don't know. Only my Father in heaven knows. Well, how could you be God if you don't know that? But then we also see Jesus saying, hey, Peter, you know, these guys are getting onto us and not paying the tax. Go fishing. First fish you catch, there's going to be a coin in its mouth, all right? It's the way it's going to work because I know where that coin is right now. I know the fish. In fact, I've known it by name, knew what was going on. I was there the day when he picked it up. Go catch that fish. 
and get that coin and pay our tax. How in the world does Jesus on one hand know something crazy like that, but not something else? I don't know, but it's what the Bible teaches. It's what the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit is the one who, it, it, the best that makes sense to me is it make putting it in words that we understand. Have you ever been in a spot where you're trying to pray? You're just like, God, I don't even know what to say. Like we're hurting, we're struggling. Have you ever been in the middle of something, a conversation with somebody trying to figure something out even? Make it there's a little simple. You're, you're almost speechless, right? You don't even know how to like just, you know. And we go through those realities of life. When I'm in those moments personally, you know where I am? And it hasn't happened a lot, thankfully. But I'm just like, God help me. I don't know. I don't even know what I should be praying for. Do you just help? <laughs> help, right? And we should know that in our deepest part of our heart and soul, that in those moments, God the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf to the God of heaven. And that the words that He's struggling with, if you will, aren't even really needed because in verse 27... He who searches the hearts is talking about the Father. The Father's the one that search our hearts. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He knows what the Spirit is saying. The Father knows what the Spirit is saying. And the Spirit, in turn, intercedes in our behalf. God is peeling the curtain back and giving us a private look, a personal look between the conversation and relationship between the Father and the Holy Spirit. And you and I should find a hope and a comfort in this. That when you and I are stuck and we're looking at all the stuff and whatever's going on and whatever the things are, the sufferings that we're going through, we should remember that right now, God Himself is interceding in my behalf. That I'm not forgotten, I'm not ignored, I am not alone that the Holy Spirit who lives inside as me is interceding before the Father of Heaven. That should bring us hope in the middle of this challenging world. Third thing, I'm going to do these last couple quickly. The third thing that should give us hope in this world is that everything in our lives, when we're a child of God, works together for our good. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We all go through some bad stuff in life. We do. It's because of this sinful, messed up world in which we live. We all experience things that we did not expect. Things that just happen. Some things happen quickly, amazingly. Some things brew over time in our lives and relationships and challenges. And we think, what happened? How did I get here? How did we get here? This is not the way we started. And even though we go through bad things, what this verse is saying to you and to me is that everything that gets orchestrated and everything that plays out into our life that even if there's some bad things in it, and there are, that ultimately all of those things play out to our good, not to our bad, but to our good. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we should all walk around and not ever be disappointed about things, right? That we should ever just, you know, just be, oh, I'm so glad that happened. My dad, I got uh, the, I called my mom this week, had missed it. She had just texted me, and I just happened to call her at the same time. And so I missed the text, but my dad was, was replacing his mailbox, the post, dug the 4 by 4 out of the ground, laid it on the ground, and somehow didn't see it, and he tripped over it, and he landed in the street, and he broke his hip. You know, truth be known, transparently, I thought it was going to be my mom that would have something like that, not my dad. It was just one of those fluke things. You know, he's, he's 75, I think. And some of you are like, oh, that's old, no wonder. And some of you are like, well, that's not old, <laughs> you know. And you're both kind of right, honestly, <laughs> you know. You and I would probably break our hip if every bit of our weight just hit the pavement, you know, just right. Anyway, fluke thing. He didn't bounce up from that. You know, he's, he told me, he's like, I couldn't move. I couldn't get up. And he realized, oh, I've got my cell phone. So he calls my mom in the house, you know, come get me. Don't make a big deal of it. The ambulance had to come and all of that. He didn't get up and just be like, oh, I'm so glad that happened. This is great. What a wonderful day. You know, this is such a blessing. This is awesome. You know, nothing but good happens because I know what that verse says. That's not what this verse is saying. But what it is saying is that everything together in our lives ultimately proves to be our, for our benefit. And that means the challenge that you and I have is recognizing that there are some hard things that we go through, and even though they're painful and difficult, that there's often things in there that God is trying to use to grow us in our lifetime. And He's trying to build us. He's trying to mature us. He's trying to strengthen us. He's trying to purify us. Sometimes He takes away things in our lives because we've become too dependent on them and not dependent on Him. And He's just like, yeah, i got to remove that. Sometimes He's trying to build our faith by saying, you don't think this is possible, that I can take care of you in the middle of this. But I'm going to show you that it is. And even though this is going to hurt, I'm actually going to make you stronger in the long run. See, our God is a loving God, but He's not an indulgent God. He's... He's a God that is tough at times because He's building us and He's maturing us into the men and women of faith that we're supposed to be. Now, don't go the next time that you have somebody that you love and they're going through a really painful thing. Say, you know, God's working this out for your good right now. Is that what you want to hear just after you've fallen and tripped over something or something bad's happened to you? No. But what that does mean is this. When you're there alone in the quietness of your heart, and you're asking those deep questions, why am I having to go through this right now? In the stillness of that, you need to say, God, this really does hurt, and God, help me. But God, I trust You. There's been things that I've experienced in my life, just challenges that I've walked through in the past, and that were painful, and they're big, and you think, how in the world is this going to work out? And they do, and God takes care of me. And then years later, you know what I discover? It's out of those painful experiences that I'm the most helped to turn around and help somebody else. And I can say, I know what you're going through. I have been there. And let me tell you, here's what I learned, and here's some things to help you along the way that God built into me every single time. So you need to take a hope not, God, if you're a good God, why would you let painful things happen? You need to realize, 
God, you are a good God, and you don't take us out of this messed up world. You leave us here, but you don't leave us without hope. And that every circumstance and difficult situation, even the most painful ones that we have a hard time seeing and making sense of, you're still using ultimately for my good. Now the problem comes when you and I try to understand that, because we're trying to understand the mind of God and you will not be able to. If we could understand exactly the mind of God, we would never have to have faith. So be careful, because when you're trying to make sense of all of that, you're really trying to say, God, I don't need you. And God, I'm trying to gain the upper hand on you. God, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to be as smart as you. God, I don't want to have faith. Everything in my life should make perfect good sense to me. Like, that is not a good spot to end up. It's okay to question a little bit and try to wrestle through with it, but somewhere along the line, you got to stop. And you got to say, God, I trust you. Just help me get through this along the way. Fourth thing, and I'm done. God, when we realize this, as we walk through these challenges in life, Paul is giving us such an incredible thing here that our entire life is being superintended with the salvation of God, that He is the working out of our salvation for our entire lives. Look at verse 29 and 30. Paul says, For those whom He foreknew, talking about God, the people that God foreknew, knew beforehand, those people who love God, oh, excuse me, for those people who foreknow, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. It's unfortunate that this verse, these two verses have become the center of much controversy in different churches and theologies down through the centuries because they're actually meant to be nothing but comfort and encouragement to us. The God of heaven, over your entire life, when you are a child of God, that He knew you, the God who lives outside of time, who's not bounded by time like you and me, who lives in the past, present, and future, and is completely unbounded by that, knew you in a relational way before you were ever born, in a saving way. And he, those that he had that relationship with, well, Sean, how is that possible? I wasn't even a thing to be have a relationship with. I don't know. When you're God, you can do what you want. I'll let you ask God and have Him explain that to you. I just am taking what it says, plain English on pages. And those individuals He predestined to become children of God. And those that He predestined, He called, He summoned to come to me. We walked through the book of John and we hid in there that Jesus said, you know, only those... Nobody comes into me unless the Father draws him. And those that come, you know, that he's pulling to me, that God summons us and calls us to salvation. And every one of those that God foreknew, God predestined. And every one that God predestined, God called. And every one of those that God called, God justifies. We spent several weeks on justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. It's God making a proclamation over our life that we are saved and we are forgiven of our sins, that we are righteous. And everyone that God justified, He glorified. That's future. 
Today, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you live in this train of statements. He foreknew, he predestined, he called and justified. You are in that moment of time, you are justified. But you're not yet glorified in reality. In God's reality, you are. But God lives outside of our reality. You're going to be glorified ultimately one day when Jesus comes back. And he takes that old body of yours that's broken and breaking down even more the older we get. It's imperfect and limping and struggling and has fractures and all of that in our bodies. And He will make them brand new as if they were made originally. We don't even realize that the most perfect person that's born today is still deformed in the eyes physically of what we're supposed to be. None of us. We're all a shell of what God really meant us to be physically And one day God completes that salvation in our bodies, and that's what glorification is. What this is meant to be for you and for me is that before you were ever born, God was superintending and working in your life. And even now, you're justified and walking through it, and God is still superintending your life. And God ultimately is going to continue to do that until ultimately you're glorified. In the eyes of God, it is all good, and it is all just as if it is done. God didn't mean that to be controversial. God meant it to be a source of hope and encouragement as we live our life. The problem when we run into these topics in Scripture is we tend to logically try to come to conclusions after that. And God's like, I'm not trying to answer why should we share the gospel with people. I'm not trying to answer that question. I'm not trying to answer some of these other things that people debate. I'm just trying to explain to you right now my hand in your life that that today that all the stuff you're going through that I've been working in your life long before you were ever born, and I'm working in your life even now, and I'm working in it until I'm done, and you are going to get there, that I'm going to take care of you, and you are my child that is working toward that eternity. So folks, even though God forgives us and He saves us, we live in a world that at times is wonderful, But it has its messes and issues, does it not? And there's tremendous hope all throughout that. Completely. We're looking for something better. The Holy Spirit is with us no matter how bad it gets. That everything in our life is ultimately working for our good, not for our bad. Sometimes we ultimately see the good of it, and sometimes we don't. But ultimately, it's for our good. And if we don't see it that way, the problem's not the stuff going on. The problem is our understanding and our thinking needs to change or we're not trusting God. And then even in that, God is saying, you are my child and I've been working in your life all the way through before you were born. And I called you to myself and I justified you. You saw your need for sin, for forgiveness of sin, and you surrendered your life to me and I declared you righteous. And I'm coming back, and I'm going to glorify you one day. Folks, that ought to be so encouraging to our hearts and our souls, these realities. So, here's what happens when you and I really go through the bad stuff. We get discouraged, and we're alone. We isolate ourselves from truth. And we don't remember these things. And we forget that we're a child of God. And we forget these truths. So you need to remember 
You need to, if you got stranded on an island with a boat, without a cell phone, a satellite phone, without ability to move, you'd be sending up like flares and burning things down. Like, how do I get somebody's attention, right? Well, when you're in the middle of that desperate situation now, the SOS you need to send up is, God, help me, but help me to remember these things that give me hope in the middle of this messed up world. Folks, there's always reason for hope. Always. No matter how bad it gets. These truths are reality that we need to look to. And we don't look at them. We isolate ourselves. And it becomes really bleak. We forget that there's a tractor sitting right out back. And we just try to take a shovel and dig our way through it. And it's a mess. And it's hot. And we become miserable. And God's like, There's a reason for you to have hope. Why don't you look to me? So I don't know where you are in your life, where you are in your world today, but there's a reason for hope. And for us, this makes it a a reminder of the Lord's Supper that we're about to participate in, a reminder that um, in the middle of all of this, that Jesus meant the Lord's Supper to be a, a picture, not just of what Jesus did on the cross for us, But because of what he did on the cross for us, we have a hope and we have a future. So go ahead and take out your your cups, if you will, and I'm going to get one for me. Thank you. I checked earlier to see if they were out, and they were. I just didn't realize I didn't have one myself. (laughs) I was worried about you and forgot me. What, What... Sometimes we go through participating in this, and you may have called it different things as you were growing up. We remembered it, the, the supper that Jesus had, and it was at the tail end of dinner. And it's really, this really is not meant to be as much of a religious rite as we make it out to be. It's really meant to be just a tangible reminder. Like you put a picture up to remind you of things. You put little things up to remind you of events. This is meant to be a, an active picture, something that we do to remind us that Jesus died and we're forgiven of our sins, and He's coming back again. That's really what this is. There's nothing special about these, what we partake in. You know, there's nothing special about these elements that we're about to, to eat and, and participate in. What matters is the faith in our hearts. So we always encourage people, if, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, and you are justified, then this is for you to remind you of just what God has done for you, that you are forgiven, you're a child of His, that even today, if you aren't feeling very good, and some days we're flying low, whether we're sick physically or whether we're sick emotionally or whatever's going on, that it's not about how you feel, it's about the reality that Jesus has already died and He's risen again, and you have the help that you need. So this is meant to be a reminder of that. And so you can go ahead and and open the, the wafer part of it. Paul said, he said, I received from the Lord, and he was explaining to the church at Corinth how to do this well. They weren't doing it well, and it was he was kind of straightening out their, their mess a bit, if you will. And he said, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup 
is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, and here it is, until He comes. It's a declaration of what your hope and what your trust is in this morning. That Jesus loves you. He died for you. And you have all the reason for hope and help in the middle of a hard, challenging life. And He's coming back for you. Not for them. Coming back for us. But He's coming back for you. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank You for the Lord Jesus that He's coming back through that truth. Thank You for the wonderful truths in this passage. Father, help us to live in the middle of a difficult world and every day has new challenges. Dreams get lost, dreams get fulfilled, and dreams get smashed. And Lord, help us to have hope always in the middle of all of it. And when things go well, help us remember that You are the one we love and the one we trust and the one we worship. And when they don't go well, help us remember You're the one we love, the one we trust, and the one we worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.